Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ACE's Arthritis at Home. Today, I'll be speaking with ACE's president, Cheryl Cohen, and we're going to review ACE's latest national survey that is being published during Arthritis Awareness Month in Canada. Cheryl, welcome. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's really good to be back on the program. What, um, what is the significance of launching the survey results on self-advocacy during this special month in Canada for arthritis? I think that's a, a, such a great place to start the conversation, Kelly. I think it's self-advocacy starts right there, Kelly. It's about describing what's going on with yourself. And if, if we can shine a light on that in the month that is dedicated by the federal government to raise awareness around arthritis overall, um, and we can help inform, and as you know, I like to say power people to use their voice, to talk about their experience, to ask for the things that they need, to join their community members and fight for new and better policy uh, for arthritis care. Um, I, I just don't think there's any better time in the calendar year to do it than this month. We ask Canadians about their understanding of their disease, uh, where they go to learn about treatment and care and more information about their type of arthritis uh, and ask them how they go about self-advocating for what they need. Um, we also try to identify uh, inequities or gaps in arthritis self-advocacy, who's experiencing them, what sort of challenges that they're facing, uh, advocating for the best arthritis care that they can receive. Um, could you walk us through maybe some of the key takeaways uh, from the survey. And uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll also ask you maybe about some specific areas that I know that were really important that we tried to, to tease out in the, uh, in the survey. Sure. Um, so in any survey on any topic, you try to gauge what I call the public with arthritis, who's who we were trying to get to respond to the survey. Um, we were trying to get a basic sense, Kelly, of, of what respondents' level of understanding about their own disease was. Because to, as I've said in, in my opening comment, a response to your question, um, if, if what we need to do to be successful, quote unquote, successful living with disease or be able to best manage our disease um, is using our voice, the first place to start using it is to describe our disease to the people around us. So that fundamental knowledge, Kelly, about um, our understanding about our disease, we wanted to know from our respondents uh, what their confidence level was, for lack of a better way of putting it, about their understanding. And, you know, 40% of the respondents, so a sizable percentage, you know, nearly half, said they know all they need to know, which is a fantastic result. But 41%, so roughly the same number, wanted to know more. So there's a, a, there's a hunger for more information. And you and I know that from the work we do every day uh, at ACE, that we're constantly uh, sent emails and called and texted about, well, where can I find this information? What about this? Do you know where I can go for that? So there is a real hunger. We, we kind of sense that there was. And this survey confirmed that for us. 
but um, 17%. So again, a fairly sizable percentage of this, uh, of this cohort of respondents said they didn't know enough about their disease, um, but they wanted to know more. So again, 40% said, yeah, got it all covered. Know what I need. 41 said, I know a lot, but I want to know more. And 17% said, I don't know nearly enough, but I want to know more. So, uh, you know, half of the people that responded are hungry uh, for more information, for more fact-based, credible, uh, sort of unbiased information. So underlying that is, you know, certainly in the last 20 years, um, we've seen a, a revolution in arthritis treatment and care. And patients probably understanding that um, this is not sort of a fixed state and that yeah. it's constantly changing and evolving and breakthroughs are occurring, um, particularly in inflammatory arthritis. But I would even say the way that we approach uh, osteoarthritis now has changed dramatically. And certainly that's, I think, probably reflected in, in these findings. Definitely. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I think the arthritis public, as I refer to them, and then closer to us are our members, subscribers, and followers, and consumers of our programming. Um, we can see, I don't want to say level of sophistication, but the heightened interest in what you and I might call very niche subjects, Kelly, like really getting at the nitty gritty uh, has certainly risen over the years. But still, as this survey alludes, there's still a very basic craving for basic information, what it is, how you get it, how is it going to progress, how is it treated, you know, what does my future look like? So really basic information about arthritis is still very much needed um, by the arthritis public. So to go back to your, um, your definition of self-advocacy at the start as a way of reaching out to others, explaining your arthritis experience, um, and ultimately learning how to ask for support and help, um, ACE focused on that area, um, asking people their top sources of emotional support and what we found is that respondents in both the English and French speaking populations identified a close friend, spouse, partner, and family as the top three sources of emotional support. Find some striking differences with other patient populations. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought this was some of the more interesting findings of the survey. And I'm glad you asked this question. So as you know, we're really trying to, with the whole, with all four of our surveys, this being the third that we've run in, in this calendar year and are reporting out on, um, the BIPOC community is experiencing arthritis in every sense of the word. So our Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, uh, people who um, have our uh, LGBTQ, uh, community are, are responding differently to our surveys across the surveys, Kelly, and this holds true for this survey on self-advocacy. So people from the BIPOC community were, you know, they were three times more likely to get emotional support from online communities. That's striking given 
the non-BIPOC community has said they're doing that within their own very close network of friends and family. Again, another interesting finding as uh, the BIPOC community responded to the survey were two times less likely, less likely to get emotional support from their rheumatologist. And I mean, I find that super alarming because the rheumatologist, um, you know, while granted they're really there to deal with the medical side of things, because they are specialists in the disease, they're very trusted by patients. And you would hope that for all patients, whether they're from the BIPOC community or not, that that trust crosses over to the seeking of emotional support. Now, medical professionals have a bandwidth, right? They have their area of expertise. And that's not to suggest that rheumatologists can be, must be, or should be expert in all of these other realms but they should at least be, they should at least create an environment for all patients to welcome requests or seeking out of information from their patients about emotional support so that they can be best directed to credible sources. So my concern about seeking emotional support from online communities is in the last three or four years, we have seen the ugly rise of mis or disinformation on online. And this, this isn't just in our politics, Kelly, or about COVID. It's about everything. So I, I'm concerned um, that people get fact-based emotional support online for those who are primarily seeking it in that way. Um, they, the BIPOC community uh, was nine times more likely, and these are statistically significant findings, Kelly, more likely to get emotional support from a community advisor, which is really interesting and very different, again, from the non-BIPOC community. One of the uh, key priorities the ACE audience knows that we have as an organization is um, Inform, uh, sharing information and education and advocacy work around work and arthritis. Arthritis is the leading cause of disability in Canada. It's a well-worn uh, fact, um, but what does that really mean for our patients across the country? And we tried to dive into that in the survey, um, asking them about their experience uh, at work. And it's important, I think, to, to remember that when we talk about a leading cause of disability work, it's not just work absenteeism, it's work presenteeism, that the challenges people have at work living with arthritis. Um, what were some of the uh, key findings in that critical area? Yeah, I should say in, in, to start uh, to answer this question, Kelly, I should say that the survey respondents uh, just below half were living with a type of inflammatory arthritis. And that is the type that drives work disability in the country. Um, so we had a high number of respondents in that. And as well, we had a high number of respondents who were self-disclosed were living with a physician diagnosed uh, form of lupus. And then the balance were with osteoarthritis. So I, I give you that data uh, as context setting for these 
findings around work and arthritis. The majority of respondents, uh, Kelly, told their friends or colleagues, so their coworkers, about their arthritis diagnosis within a few weeks or months after receiving it. That finding surprised me in some ways. But when I reflect back on my own diagnosis 31 years ago, and I was a working, uh, a working person at the age of 26 or seven, there I go, I've given away my age if people can wanna do the math. Um, and I couldn't hide my diagnosis, Kelly. I was barely able to walk and my knees were the size of soccer balls because of the inflammation. My hands, you know, all of the definition on the back of my knuckles was gone because my hands looked like Michelin man hands. You know, I had so much edema uh, that it was, vis it was visible to my colleagues. And a few of them asked me, so it's kind of, I couldn't hide it. And so, and I worked for a very small firm. Uh, I had really well-established relationships and a level of trust in my employer and my colleagues that I disclosed. So I think that um, that finding that a large number of our respondents disclosed within such a short period of time, um, this is my hypothesis, Kelly, behind the finding is that it's because a large number of our uh, uh, respondents had inflammatory arthritis um, and likely couldn't keep it, you know, secret. Uh, and, um, and, you know, we didn't ask about their employer size. So there are things we can do to look into these other data to try to do some fine tuning. Uh, when we asked them if they know how to deal with those limitations at work, caused by their, their, the majority said yes. So many of them said, yes, we can fig, kind of figure it out. Um, followed by about a quarter of the respondents who said they weren't sure at all. So um, nearly half said, yeah, they could figure it out, but a quarter said no. Um, but here's a big sort of aha moment for us. The BIPOC community revealed a statistical significance related to asking for and receiving job accommodations from an employer. So they were two times more likely to ask for job accommodations if you, they were from the BIPOC community. So that can be good and it can be bad. There can be a stigma attached for asking more frequently than a non-BIPOC community. Or there is, you know, that's positive action. That's self-advocacy in action. They want to really, they're keenly trying to stay in the job, the workforce, by asking for accommodations. But we don't know which it is. I suspect a little of both will happen. Um, seven in 10 of our BIPOC respondents, so almost 70%, um, said they did not ask for job accommodations. So therein lies my first sort of, assumption that a large number didn't because they were afraid of ask, uh, uh, being stigmatized and more so than a non-BIPOC population. A lot of work to be done there in terms of workplace education. Uh, absolutely. And I, I, I should remind our audience too, it's not just ACE that uh, does a lot of work in this area. Um, other patient groups in Canada. Yep. Um, like like Kappa, like the Canadian Small Ice Association, and uh, 
uh, Arthritis Research Canada um, are all doing really important work in this area and are good sources of information as well. Yeah, in fact, the scientific director of Arthritis Research Canada, Dr. Diane Lakai, has spent much of her, her research life That's right. looking at not just rheumatoid arthritis um, in the workplace and the impacts it has on people like myself, uh, but also in uh, osteoarthritis and has developed workplace programming um, and we'll provide that resource, Kelly, at, at the end of this uh, at the end of this session. When um, when people go uh, go to our website to look for uh, more information uh, about the survey questions and responses, they'll see asked um, a question on what type of challenges uh, people have <clears throat> living with arthritis, and we gave them a long list of things yeah. that they could choose from. Um, once again, though, in terms of the findings, we saw uh, uh, an interesting uh, disparity between patient populations again. Yes. Yeah. So I want to say this before I, I share these three data points. It's not that ACE doesn't care about the non-BIPOC community. It's that we care a lot about ensuring that the BIPOC community is on par in terms of the things that are being offered to them and the way that they want them to be offered as our non-BIPOC community. In terms of the differences and the challenges of living daily with arthritis, Kelly, we found a statistical significance in the experiences of, BIPOC, uh, of the BIPOC respondents in our survey. Uh, they were much more likely to experience challenges, challenges in advancing their career. So, Three in 10 or a third versus only 10, 17% in the non-BIPOC community. And this is true in arthritis in general, Kelly. So in general, people with arthritis have a hard time advancing in their careers for, for multifactorial reasons. But people who are in the BIPOC community have uh, a much uh, more difficult uh, time of it. They're six times more likely to experiencing challenges with staying in school, which I touched on uh, before. So 12% in the BIPOC community versus 2%. So very low challenge rating in the non-BIPOC community, but a statistically significant in the BIPOC community. So those were really interesting, I think, findings. As you know, our question set was kept at a very high level, Kelly. So there is a lot of work to be done on these findings. We need to go back and work with our partners in, in um, uh, social and, and medical research to find out more about these differences. Finally, uh, Cheryl, one other area of questioning was around um, where patients were getting uh, their information about their disease and what some of the top sources were. Um, can you just elaborate a little bit on that area? You bet. So we obviously there's a vested interest for uh, arthritis consumer experts to ask this question because we are uh, uh, a nonprofit organization in arthritis, the largest um, in the country serving patients with a membership of over 50,000 people. So this of course is of, of great interest to us. We want to find out in some ways how well we're doing. Are people using our services? How can we do better 
to meet their informational needs. And what we found out, Kelly, and as you know, we gave them a long list and these are the top ranked items um, uh, that they selected when we asked them. So websites. So websites could include patient organizations. We asked generically, you know, where they were going and websites was number one, eight in 10 or 85% of our respondents. Um, and then members of their healthcare team, which makes us very happy, of course. It means people are self-advocating. And remember, asking questions of health professionals is a form of self-advocacy. You're actively seeking information to inform yourself, in which case you will make decisions, your health literacy will rise up, and you're more likely then to be active in your own care, but you may also be active in using your voice out in community. Um, so that made us very happy. And it also made us happy, not happy enough, um, that patient organizations, three out of 10 of our respondents sought information uh, from organizations like ours or others in arthritis, 30% of our respondents. And that's actually gone up over the years, Kelly. Part of that uh, increase, I think, is because we work every day, as you know, to gain the trust of the medical professionals we work with, namely rheumatologists, physiotherapists, um, uh, occupational therapists, rheumatology nursing. We work really hard every day to earn their trust, to, to ensure that they know we are giving correct lay, you know, easy to read information uh, on, on the different types of arthritis. So it's gone up, but it's not high enough. I mean, we would of course like that to be very high. Why? Because not only are people out in the public getting good credible information um, from ACE and others, they're also getting tapping into community, Kelly, and they're getting a chance to tap into support, collegiality at the patient consumer level and learning about opportunities to exercise their voice through self-advocacy campaigns. So that's another reason we want to see that number go up because it's not just information we're providing. We are a mirror for them. They can see themselves in our organizations. And that means a lot to improving one's health outcomes. We know that through research. Um, and then other people living uh, with their type of arthritis, so they are doing community bonding through organizations like ours. And then lastly, printed pamphlets or guides. So there's still people out there who want a printed piece of information. Uh, a quarter of our respondents said, give me a pamphlet. And as you know, we're still providing those uh, for some of the pieces of information that we have online. Yeah, I think just to follow on, on your comments, a key message for us to arthritis clinicians, the rheumatologists, but also all the arthritis health professionals is please refer your patients yeah. to our resources. And again, not just ours, there's other organizations yeah. in Canada who have yeah. excellent information, but there does seem to be a bit of a breakdown there that if they are going at a high number to look for information from their healthcare team, we really hope that healthcare team also lets them know about our resources as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll just leave it at that. Please, please refer uh, to credible <laughs> fact-based information sources and apes. 
Um, but I want to end this conversation, Kelly, on something that's really important for all of those groups you just mentioned. So mm. our, our peer groups, rheumatology associations and individual rheumatologists, um, the finding around information seeking in the BIPOC community was disturbing for us, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, they reported that their ability to understand, understand arthritis information, so in the way that we are providing it, so this isn't a problem on their end, it's a problem on our end. Um, in the BIPOC community, they were less likely to find written information about their type of arthritis easy to read and understand. More than half Kelly responded that way, 56% versus the non-BIPOC community, okay? So they're, you know, yes, we're doing a good job for some in the BIPOC community, but a large number are saying that they find materials out there being given by a variety of providers, information providers, not easy to understand, read or understand. So I, th I think that's uh, kind of a call to action. Uh, clearly, it's one of the reasons we are running this survey program and we'll continue to run it into 2022 is to continue to find ways to improve our service, our understanding, our ability to outreach to and uh, provide information to BIPOC, the BIPOC community. We just have to do better. And I will underscore uh, for our indigenous um, uh, brothers and sisters in, in this land. Thanks for those, uh, those insights, uh, Cheryl, on the national survey um, that ACE conducted on arthritis self-advocacy. Um, if people want to get more information, um, we've just published a joint health insight that uh, dives deep into survey findings. Um, we also have an infographic that people can look at as well. So that's all on our website. We look forward to people's comments too. If there's some things there that uh, you're interested in following up on or have some comments, we're, we're looking always for your, your feedback. So thanks again, everyone, for joining us on another episode of Arthritis at Home. Cheryl, thanks for taking the time to walk us through the survey findings. Thank you, Kelly. Bye, everyone. <laughs>